host, Dmitry Filipovich. Welcome to the Hockey PDO cast. My name is Dmitry Filipovich, and joining me is my good buddy, Ryan Lambert, RL. What's going on, man? I'm chilling. That's great. You might need to carry us today. I uh, Last night, I kind of lost my voice, which obviously okay. isn't ideal for talking about hockey for an hour. And I don't mean like the uh, losing my smile. Like Shawn Michaels, I mean, like I, I quite literally lost mm-hmm. my voice and it was, I was struggling. This morning, I've been mashing lozenges like uh, like Ali and Vigneault behind the bench. So uh, uh, hopefully we can make it work, but I couldn't take a day off today because we've got an actual trade to discuss. And it's an interesting one at that with a lot of layers, uh, a big name involved that goes off all of our trade board lists. And so we're going to unpack it. And uh, if you are, if you're a fan of the written word still, and I think some people still are, right? People subscribe to and, and read EP ring sound certainly. So. Um but I think people like to consume, you know, audio content while they're doing chores around the house, while they're driving to and from work, while they're at the gym, all that stuff. And that's why they listen to a show like this. So we're gonna unpack all of it here. But if you want to go and read a more a kind of dense written breakdown, uh JD let me write three thousand words last night on this trade at EP Ringside. And I think it's unlocked for everyone to read. So go check that out. But we're gonna kind of reinforce a lot of those topics here today. So Let's have some fun and let's see how far we can take this. I thought it'd be good to break it down into three segments, starting with Elias Lindholm, the player, and then we could talk the Canucks perspective, which I think is more interesting for the purposes of this year, certainly. And then we could talk a little bit about the Flames at the end, but neither you or I, as much as you're the our, uh, NCAA guy, we're not really prospects people, right? We leave that stuff to no. our colleagues at EP Ringside. So we're going to save all analysis of that for, for them, but we'll talk a little bit about what it means for the Flames. Let's start with with Lindholm, I think kind of turned into a bit of a polarizing player, right? Because it feels like his perceived value around the league is dipped. I think what did him a bit of a disservice beyond the sort of season he's having right now is when those reports came out at the start of the year about how much money both him and Noah Hannafin were offered to stay in Calgary and they turned it down. And it was there was some sticker shock, I think, involved with like seeing the actual figures and being like, whoa, how much money is this guy going to get paid into his 30s? And so I think we have that in the back of our minds. And I think everyone is ready to absolutely hate whatever contract extension he signs this summer, right? Or with whoever he winds up signing with. Um, And we're all going to be like, this is a bad deal. Too much money, too much term. This is a bad investment. And I think that has kind of clouded our judgment a little bit about what he actually represents right now for a team like the Canucks or whoever would have traded him this year trade for him this year because I think he's still a very useful player certainly it's just that yes we're all kind of ready to take this extreme stance against disliking his next contract which doesn't really it shouldn't factor into our evaluation of him for the final 33 games of the regular season and the playoffs yeah well the other thing I think is important to say about him and how he's perceived is you know, uh, he, the last season, Gaudreau and, and Kachuk were in Calgary. He scored 40-something goals. You know, everybody's like, and this is the future of the Calgary Flames. You run this guy up the middle as your number one center. You're, you you might not be getting 40 goals every year, but you're you're getting a, a lot of production. And uh, you trade those guys, and suddenly he goes back to being like a 60-ish point player. And that's life, you know? That's... that's uh, he was never going to, I don't remember, uh, but he also had like a huge shooting percentage that season. Ask the Canucks about that, I guess. Um, but 
it was just this thing of like that season when he played with two all-star to MVP caliber wingers. It really feels like that elevated his stock in such a way that when he only has 60 something points last year, it was like, what's going on with this bum? He stinks now. And he's on pace to do, I think to be even less productive now as the, the talent level in Calgary continues to, uh, kind of degrade, I guess you would say. Well, he's certainly that is coloring. But part of the his appeal is that he's sort of this like play connector who fills in the gaps and does less sure. glamorous stuff off the puck, right? And so when the plays he's connecting are two of the best playmakers in the game at the peak of their powers, but in that season you're describing with Johnny Goudreau and, yep. and Matthew Kachuk, all of a sudden that looks a lot different than you know, Igor Sharangovich this year and and whatever version we're getting of of Jonathan Huberto and whoever he's playing with over the past year and a half, right? And so the 42 goals he scored that year certainly represent like extreme outlier. I do think though, like he's played five years in Calgary beyond full seasons, not including this one, right? If you even remove that one career year where he scored the 42 goals, in the other four seasons in Calgary, he's averaged 28 goals per 82 games. And he shot 14.5% in them. Now, right. if he were shooting 14.5% this year, he'd have 19 goals in 49 games and he'd be around a 30 goal base. And we'd be like, yeah, this is who he is. This is who he's been for his entire career. And so it's very unfortunate yeah. that this is happening in such a high leverage season for him. And part of it might be that he's 29 now and approaching a different stage of his career. But and yeah, and he's a he's a player that has a little more uh line mate dependency than I think you would want an $8 million player to be. Mm -hmm. No, I, I, I completely agree with that. And I, so, I, just, I think the point I was trying to make though. They're not doing him any favors. Yeah. No, but go ahead. Sorry. People are quick to point out that 42 goals was an aberration. I also think this is a bit of an aberration as well. Right. And so I, I've seen it. Oh, like, for sure it is. Yeah. Well, if this is the price you get for him, he's only got the 32 points and nine goals. Sean Monahan has what, 13 goals and 35 points. Adam Henrique has 15 goals and 33 points. What are those guys going to get paid then? And it's like, I don't know, less because they're not as good. It, 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 I'm not using sure. these 49 games to evaluate what Elias Lindholm is now. And I think I think there's also a difference that we should point out between fan perception, I guess, of this and how he's probably viewed in around the league where he still plays a premium position. I think there's very few alternatives that move the needle at that position if you're not going to get him. And also sure. a lot of these things that he has a reputation for or the profile he has as a player is something teams covet around postseason time, right? And so like all of that, I think, still made his value pretty high around the league, even though the, I, I feel like if you just go on Twitter, the way people talk about him probably doesn't align with that. Yeah, and you know, I... I Obviously, I have a lot of friends who work in the uh, the Boston media, and a lot of their reaction was, well, now the Bruins aren't getting that guy. I don't know what they're doing, you know? Um, so it's not like even though his his value is, is perhaps lessened because he's maybe underperforming a little bit this year, um, it's not like he wasn't a coveted player by very good teams. I'm, the Bruins and the Canucks are tied for the league leading points right now, right? So... These these are two teams that really wanted this guy, and he's a guy who 
I think where the the higher end teams can put him versus where Calgary is putting him, yes, you know, in a position to succeed is completely it's a completely different story. Undoubtedly. Like, yeah, we're gonna talk about the fit with the Canucks later, but if he's playing with Elias Pedersen at five on five and then he's in the that bumper spot on that power play, that looks a little bit different for his skill set as a guy who stands in the slot and shoots off offensively. That looks a yeah. little bit different in that scenario than what he's been playing with this past year. I think the other point I want to make about him is it's a bit tricky to evaluate him because this is like the first year I believe that he's getting outscored at 515, right? And the defensive metrics have plummeted a little bit. But I think we all expected post Sutter that there'd be a regression in that regard for this team, for this Flames team, right? For sure. Of what, for anything you want to say about his interactions with players and how he'd worn out his welcome and all that stuff, certainly. Like he's established quite a track record of inflating his team's five on five performance, especially with the defensive metrics. And they've plummeted. I had Kevin Woodley on last week, and I've mentioned this a few times now, but it just blew my mind. Like ClearSight Analytics has Jacob Markstrom's expected save percentage this season at 874 based on the workload he's faced. And I, I, my reaction to Kevin was like, first off, I think that's a bit extremely low because if he had an 874 save percentage right now, like he wouldn't be in the league anymore. You'd be like, wow, this is unbelievable. And now he has like a 9-10 or whatever, and and he's played really well. And I think that's why there's going to be so much talk about him at the deadline. But I I don't think we should understate, I guess, how much things have fallen off in Calgary. But in terms of the things that Lindholm actually does well, theoretically as well, around him, that have kind of, I think, dragged him down along the way. And so I think a lot of the stuff we value about him, right? Like shooting from the slot, face-offs, penalty killing, like, not taking penalties, lineup like lineup flexibility in terms of playing center for the Canucks. Like I think all of that stuff is still in play. And I don't know, has your opinion on him as a player changed this season through these forty nine games compared to where like this? If we had been having this conversation in the summer before we saw this, um, no, and for all the reasons you you've kind of said earlier, right, where it's just like he's shooting seven percent. Yeah, you know, and to uh, much like you, you could say, well, he was never going to score, like, be a consistent forty goal guy. He's also not going to be a consistent twenty goal guy. Um, you know, all things being equal, this season, as you said, if he was shooting the average of what he shot in Calgary, he'd be, you know, in a position where nobody's questioning this deal. Um, yeah. so. I I find it very difficult to to sit there and say, generally speaking, like this guy who's on a not very good team, who used to be really good and is on a not very good team, and it seems like he's suffering. He's just not being put in a position where you know, like the Flames just cannot insulate him the way they did two, three years ago. They just can't do it. You saw it last year. And now you're seeing it this year, coupled with an extremely low shooting percentage. Well, I think the question of whether he's worth, like as we pivot here and talk about the Canucks angle of this, I think the question of whether he's worth the price they paid uh, as a rental this season and justifying that cost the rest of the way this year playing for them is an entirely different conversation than the one we're going to have in the summer, which I kind of hinted at earlier about whoever picks up the tab on him and signs him to an eight-year deal that takes yeah, I don't want to be involved in that season. deal, right? Like, like I'm gonna, I'm right. gonna, I'm gonna dislike that for anyone because it's just yeah. gonna be a bad bet 
that has nothing to do with this thing. And it's funny, like Pierre Lebrun tweeted, um, you know, there's been no talks of an extension with the Canucks. Like this is purely a rental. We've seen Chris Johnson say like, this is a big showcase for him as he figures to be the, the, the top free agent this summer. Um, I forget who it was. I think it might've been Darren Dreger or someone noted that, um, the flames had sort of like the Canucks showed a lot of interest recently a couple days ago and then the flames circled back to all the teams they talked to previously and pretty much all of them were cool with him being a pure rental except for one who wanted to talk extension with him and then the fact that they couldn't um they just kind of checked out of the bidding yeah i think i think the fact that he's a rental here like we we sort of equate we have this conversation every trade deadline where it's like man you don't want to be giving up too many futures for a rental that and because you might lose in round one and then all of a sudden you have nothing to really show for it in this case the fact that the Canucks aren't in a position to even consider being the team that picks up that tab on them and that extension is a feature, not a bug for me, if you know what I mean. Like it's totally, absolutely. Yeah. I'm like, because of their current situation where, and we can talk about this a little bit, like they have to sign Pedersen this summer. They have to sign Hronik. Uh, There's going to be a lot of roster turnover on this team. A lot of the guys having career years now are just going to price themselves out of Vancouver because they just won't be able to retain everyone. I think that's actually kind of a good thing. It almost saves them from themselves in a way. Um, and so in this case, the fact that this is, we're just viewing this purely based on what happens the rest of the season. And then thank you for your service. You go on elsewhere and good luck to you and the team that signs you. I actually think that's like a good thing from Vancouver's perspective, as opposed to the framing of, oh man, this is just a rental. Yeah. And I, I think it's probably also good from, from Lindholm's perspective, as far as motivation goes. Because it's like, I have to kill it in Vancouver or else I'm not going to get that at $8 million. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I think he's going to probably get it regardless. It would just be looking at the free agent. Yeah. But, well, I mean, if, if he kind of flops, I think that might, that might affect things. But you're right. I mean, there's, a, there's always one sucker out there. You know? There's always, there's always someone who's going to come along and, and give you the, uh, Oh, who's the guy that signed it in Anaheim this year and then immediately got hurt? Kalorn, oh, Alex oh, Kalorn, yeah. That's right. Yeah. Um, the thing that I liked about this from the Canucks perspective, and it's remarkable because I wrote up the Bo Horvat trade last year with, and we were one day off from like exactly a calendar year between these two trades. And at the time, I lauded the Canucks for the trade they made, which was nearly like a carbon copy of this one, right? It was... Pretty much, they yeah. They traded a center who they weren't going to pay for a first, a prospect, and a winger with one year of salary owed. And now they didn't wind up using that first because they traded it for, for Philip Ronick a few, few weeks later. But the reason why I like that deal for their perspective is like, finally, this organization has a good grasp of where it stands in the league's hierarchy. It realizes it needs to make a move like this to stop just spinning its wheels in the mud and actually do something different, right? And it understands where it's at relative to the rest of the teams. Mm -hmm. And in this case, and this is, I think, the biggest testament you could say to just what a magical year the Canucks have had so far and how much they've turned things around. Uh, I like this deal again for them, even though it's the exact opposite, because I think it once again shows a good grasp of where they're at and what they need to accomplish this season, right? And so it's remarkable that both of those statements are true considering they're the exact opposite and it's been such a short window for this turnaround, but I really feel that that's the case. Yeah, I mean, 
it, it's it's not a it's not a mystery that the the reason the Canucks are so good is because the 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 goalies they've faced have been eight seventy all year basically, and um the so the Canucks are just never gonna be in this position at this point in the season with this group again, probably in all likelihood, right? Like they, they don't have the greatest prospect pool that they're going to be able to pull, um, you know, good contributors from to keep this going year after year. Nobody, nobody basically is, is as good as the Canucks have been for most of this season. Um, and so you get, you got to do what you can Especially again with the understanding that they're going to have to make some major structural changes to the to the group uh, over the summer, you got to do what you can to to ensure that these outsized results can be as sustainable as possible, and to bring in a Lindholm, a guy who it sounds like we both like pretty well, but not uh, not to the extent that they should keep him around. I no. guess. Um, to bring him in that that only makes sense like they had they had to go out and get somebody and it wouldn't have been just like ah look we we got the second pairing defenseman or whatever you had to go out and get a guy who could who could play on your top power play unit who could take second line minutes you know and and complement your your best players um because look at where look at where the two team were the two Canucks teams were in the standings when these trades were made, right? I, I don't remember where they were last year, but it was very obvious they weren't making the playoffs. Yep. And then this year, they're the number one team in the league. And um, yeah, it, ju- it just seems to me that like this is this is the right way to go about it with a team that's kind of at this spot in its collective aging curve. Well, I think they did a as about a good of a job as you can hope for. And I think this is a tricky thing for for management groups and teams in general to to manage is they kind of straddled two different timelines with one move here because I think they clearly improved their team the rest of the season. Like I, I really like Lindholm as a fit sure. for them specifically, but they also caught off Kuzmenko's 5.5 million next year which was going to mm-hmm. be a problem for them based on what had happened with him this season and how he like fallen out of Rick Tockett's good graces and his percentages regressed as we expected. And they would have had to pay just to get off that money. Like that wasn't an asset. And so in this case, they cleared 5.5 valuable million dollars on cap space next year to make all of these roster turnover mm-hmm. decisions they're going to deal with more palatable. And they also improved their team. And that's, I think, a yeah. really impressive thing in this grand scheme of things, especially when... I just become so used to judging everything this organization did under Jim Betting as like, man, you can't even like walk and chew gum at the same time. And in this case, they're like actually doing these two things at once. And and maybe that's a low bar to clear comparing it to that previous regime. But it's still, I think, oh, sure. very encouraging for like our evaluations of the Canucks viability beyond, you know, the PDO and everything moving forward that there's reasons for hope that like they actually do have a good sense of what's going on around the league as opposed to where they were previously at. So I think that's uh that's notable. Let's talk a little bit about the Canucks then. So you mentioned their first sure. point percentage, their first in raw points in the West. I think part of the intrigue for this trade for me is the timing of it. The fact that they did it 
this far out of the deadline because not only do I think that two teams they're going to battle for first in the West, which is Winnipeg, who they're six points up on with two games in hand, and Colorado, who they're up four points on with the same number of games played, would have been the top two Elias Lindholm teams, in my opinion, if the Canucks didn't get it. They were saying, yeah, they were saying Lindholm to Colorado for months. Yeah. Yeah, so I think they would have been heavily in it, and they're up 12 points on Edmonton in the Pacific, and Edmonton has four games in hand. Now, by trading for Lindholm now, compared to if they'd waited till March 8th, they get 16 extra games, theoretically, of him in their lineup. And the reason why I think that's important is it's very rare. I know, like, best laid plans in the NHL, right? Like, you can try to map things out, and then you get to the playoffs, and you play a theoretically worse team and their goalie gets hot and beats you and you're like, man, that sucked. That did not go the way we thought. But you just look at the two sort of roadmaps here for the Canucks and one is finishing first in the West, playing the second wild card, which is going to be Arizona, Nashville, or Seattle most likely. And then in round two, having home ice against the winner of Vegas and Edmonton and they're probably going to beat each other up for seven games. And it's like, all right, Home ice against the kind of more banged up team. I think they've got at least a puncher's chance here. Whereas if they regress and fall off in the final 33 games and fall into a second or third seed in the Pacific, most likely second because they have such a big gap, um, all of a sudden it becomes so much more challenging, right? And so I think it actually, the value of having as good of a final 33 games as they can to secure a one seed in the West is about as imperative for a team as as i can really remember in terms of like the the alternative yeah and again it's just a thing of like everybody knows that these results are outsized for the canucks um most teams that win the president's trophy have gotten outsized results relative to uh how well they've played but the canucks do seem like an extreme example again you know to contextualize how good it is the average goaltending they've faced so far this season is 870, right? Like that's, that's what the math works out to and that you're not going to score on 13% of your shots all year. So you need to go out and you need to get a player who's going to help like improve your team such that the, the results are a little more sustainable in terms of the, uh, the process and all that kind of thing. And I, I'm very curious to see how they use Lindholm. Like you said, they could use him as the complimentary player for um, for for Pedersen, or they could. I think they could use him as, as a as a kind of second line center option, and you know, kind of just shuffle everybody down the lineup a little bit. There, there's kind of no wrong way to approach it with with him for now. Anyway, you obviously we're going to see in like a week when they actually put him in the lineup, but. Um, yeah, just just getting out and, and jumping the line and getting this guy for as many games as possible. It's especially if if you if you don't have to pay a premium for him because I don't feel like they paid a premium. We'll talk about that in a minute, I guess. Mm-hmm. But um, I I think I think this is this is like you said, it not only imperative but just like really smart to to get out in front of it like this. Well, you I don't know think what? anybody saw this coming. No, well, you know what acquiring him does? It guarantees that Elias Lynn or Elias Pedersen, sorry, it's too many Eliases now. Um, They're loading up. Has a top line mate to play with that can actually match him. Sure. Right? Because yep. there were stretches this year where he was playing with like 
Mikhaev, Kuzmenko, like Sam Lafferty at some point, like they were just trying to find stuff to to work with him. And we've seen that a lot of line with him and JT Miller and Brock Besser. They've been really good offensively. I'm a bit worried about them defensively. Uh, but then you're right. Then you have Laszlo home on a more sort of defensively or into second line. I actually love the idea of putting the two Lazes together because I think not only can they be mutually beneficial in terms of like making each other's lives easier, but also get the best out of each other. Because I think what what sure what's kind of limited Pedersen so far is because of his line mates, he's had to do everything. And so that starts in his own zone mm-hmm. and then like just retrieving possession and then working it up the ice. And then by the time you get there, it's like, all right, I'm pretty gassed. This has been a long shift, but also now I have to try and score. And in this case, Lindholm can do a lot of that stuff. And then when they get into the offensive zone, pretty good combo of like passing and playmaking with a guy who stands in the slot and shoots and and at least previously before this year has scored on those shots at a high rate. And so it's like, yeah, I think those two guys are, are going to rock together. So it gives you a good player regardless playing with Pedersen, whether it's JT Miller or mm-hmm. Lindholm. And that's the most important part of this for me. Like this summer, they essentially have to convince uh, Pedersen to sign an eight-year deal. If they don't, it's a disaster. Like if he goes... Let's say he decides, all I want to do is a three-year deal. It'll take me to 28 years old. I'll be a UFA then. Quinn Hughes' deal also expires that year. I think this is the best way for me to uh, to map out my career financially. I wouldn't blame him for it, but that would really suck for the Canucks. And I don't think he will do that. Sure. But in this case, it's like, if we have a good playoff run and also you get to play with a cool player that makes you better, even though he won't be here next year, at least you're going to have some fun. We're going to be r- riding the good vibes. And then you sign an eight-year deal. And then we can figure stuff out next year and beyond. Whereas if they hadn't done anything and you go into the playoffs and you lose in round one where he's miserable playing with inferior line mates, it's a bit trickier to get him to, to sign on the dotted line for that period of time, right? So I think in this case, like you're making your team better, but you're also hopefully accomplishing the ultimate goal, which is convincing this guy that he should be a Canuck for pretty much the rest of his career. Yeah, that. I mean, you know, he he's one of my favorite players in the league and certainly one of the most talented. So I, you know, I, I'd be moving heaven and earth to, to get this guy to, to stick around. Um, and yeah, and anything you can do to just make him think, oh, okay. Canucks management is competent now. This is a big change for me. Um, that's, that's a positive. Yeah actually convince him that he's going to get help and he's going to have fun playing hockey here. Yep. That's Those are important things in terms of uh, getting a player to decide that he wants to stay. Okay. All right, let's take a break here. And then when we come back, we'll do one more note that I have on the Canucks and then we'll talk about the Flames. And maybe if we have time at the end, uh, take a few mailbag questions. You're listening to the Hockey PDO cast streaming on the Sportsnet Radio Network. All right, we're back here in the Hockey PDO cast with Ryan Lambert. We are doing a Elias Lindholm deep dive RL flash the thumbs up, even though this is a uh, audio only show. But I think mm-hmm. just for my purpose, right. just to know that he's good to go and he's having a good time. So uh, I think it feels the same. Okay, one final note on the Canucks before we uh, before we pivot here a little bit. Uh, we mentioned kind of in passing, and and I think all conversations about this team this season have been centered around their PDO and I think understandably so, right? Like what they're doing. Yes, has to be. It's a historical footnote through 50 games because since 2007, there's been four teams by my count before the season to have a PDO of 103 or higher at 515. Yeah. Um, the 09 Bruins, 
103. The 2010 Washington Capitals, 103.3. The 2013 Leafs in the short and lockout season, 103. And then last year's Bruins, 103.6. Now, what wound up happening to those teams in the playoffs is is pretty tragic. And I think maybe a... The less said the better. Field, yeah. Right? Like that, that first Bruins team did actually win a playoff round, but then I think they lost game seven in overtime at home to the Hurricanes that year. The 2010 mm-hmm. Caps got upset by by uh, Yarrow Halak, right? And the and the Canadians. Mm-hmm. The Leafs blew that. Uh, it was 4-1 game. And then last year's Blazers, I think, uh, still fresh in our minds is what happened with them. Now, this year's Canucks are at 104.5, but then in perspective, the Bruins are at 103.5, I should say, and the Jets are at 103.1. So they got some competition in that regard. I think generally betting on some sort of regression to happen at some point is has been a lucrative proposition in this. This is why we look at these things as as indicators sure. and care about them. I do think it has clouded a little bit though, and I've I've totally come around on this team watching them as the season's gone along, and maybe that's me falling victim to it. But I do feel like they've improved as the year has gone along. Like they're and I think their underlying markers certainly reflect that to an extent. And the way they've played in particular, and it's been uh They've been allowed to play that way because they've just been leading so often. And I've been talking about that a lot on this show, but it's allowed them to play a very certain way under Rick Talking where they're just controlling shot quality to an obscene extent compared to the the regular shot attempts and shot on goal metrics. And Sport Logic, for example, helps paint that picture, right? Like defensively, they're sixth in expected goals against. They give up the fewest rush chances. Offensively, they're only 27th in shots, but they're fourth in offensive zone possession time. They're seventh in inner slot shots, and they're 12, I believe, in expected goals generated. And so you look at that, and it gives you a, an outline of a team that is pretty is pretty promising, right? Certainly, I don't think their play has warranted being first in the league in terms of point percentage, but I also don't think this is one of those things where maybe 10 games, 15, 20 games into the year, we were like, oh, I just this is a an impending disaster where it's just going to completely fall off a map. I, I, I think there are underlying indicators that suggest improvement and making a move like this, I think, will help in that regard. So I just kind of wanted to point that out because I think we did a few drive-bys in terms of being like, well, they're not actually as good as their record indicates. And you know what? Be- no, hold on, hold on. We You, you don't have to couch it like this. It, are they going to shoot 13% and get... 915 goaltending all year. Yes or no question. No. Almost certainly. No. Bingo. And yeah. so the idea that like, oh, you you're you're just not watching the Canucks enough. You're you're not uh, you know, you're not uh you're not seeing all the things. When you see the puck go in the net, your brain processes everything that led up to the puck going into the net as they did the right thing. Right. Right? And when you don't and when you see the goalie make a save. You process not everything because, you know, you can see when a guy like falls down trying to make a pinch or something like that. You see everything that happens that led up to the goalie making that save and go, well, it all worked out. So it's all good. And that's not that's not even like a a conscious decision you're making. That's a subconscious thing. Puck goes in. That's good. Everything that worked. Is good about it. And so. Like. You're just not allowed to say to a Vancouver fan right now. Well, I mean the PDO, like it's crazy. I, I keep saying it. They have faced 870 goaltending this year. 
That's ridiculous to expect that to continue. And yet they're like, yeah, but what, you know, what are you, what are you going to realize? No, I don't have to realize anything. I realize 870 is not going to last. This is a good team. All the numbers you just read suggest this is a an above average, but certainly not like elite team in the league, right? And to me, an elite team is like 105 points or something like that. You got to get to 100 points for me to consider you had a good season. Broadly speaking, elite team, a little more than that. And this is a good, but not elite team that is getting beyond elite results right now. Yep. And again, what the Lindholm trade does is just helps them be a little bit more good mm-hmm. than they have been. That's it. We we don't you don't have to couch it the way the way all these Vancouver people want you to couch it. No, so we can just go, come on, man. Like you it, it's the same thing of the Islanders or 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 Colorado or the Leafs or whoever. The team that has the 103 PDO, everyone goes, well, all those other teams, it didn't work out for them, and obviously it wasn't going to. But this team, it is, and here's why. And it's like, let me stop you right there, partner. We don't have to we don't have to play these games. We don't have to pretend like this. Yeah. No, I, I agree with that. I just think it it goes too far the other way though, as well. Like you're you're pointing out convinced cool. fans being right. defensive about it. I also think it gets viewed as like a bad thing in a way. It's kind of like a, on a different scale, the conversation we constantly have about how players who are good on the power play, it somehow has turned into a thing where it's used against them now, where it's like, this sure. guy has a power play merge and it's like, oh, I, is scoring goals actually bad? Like th- th- that's the way it's almost, uh, you know, come out these days now, right? Where it's like, oh, if you're scoring a lot, but it's on the power play, then it doesn't count the same when in reality on the scoreboard it does. In this case, the, the only reason I brought that up is because I think if a team that I didn't think was actually good was trading away a first and a prospect for a player who I don't think is a legitimate superstar, I'd be like, what are you trying to accomplish here? You're kind of, you're, you're being fooled. And I just think that's a sure, bad bet. Absolutely. Yeah. In this case, I think this is a team that is certainly in the running with a lot of the other top West teams. And they just got a little bit better. And I think in their case, they very reasonably could justify making this type of deal. That's all I'm saying. I I, I just think sometimes like a little perspective on that is important. If you know, no, I mean, I mean, we, we said it right. Like this is the year the Canucks will almost certainly never have a better year than this with this group. Right. That just, that just goes without saying that this, this group, if I'm not mistaken, is better points percentage wise than the Canucks teams that won the President's Trophy. So the idea that this is the best team in Canucks history in terms of winning the games, you you absolutely have to go out and provide that help. We said it earlier, you know? Yeah. It, it's, it's, I believe you use the word imperative. It was imperative that they do something to buoy these results and make them a little more sustainable. Yeah. That's yeah. No. I think, yeah, some nuance on it is important from both sides, right? Um, the interesting thing, though, is the first they give up. Let's talk a little bit about the Flames, because the first they give up, I believe last year's Colorado team won their division and then lost in round one, right? And their first round pick wound up being 27th overall. And right. 
if that does happen to this Canucks team and a pick winds up in that range, that is essentially the value of a second round pick. Uh, if you look at any sort of chart in terms of probability of that player turning into a, a legitimate NHLer, and between now and March 8th, we're going to see second round picks get traded back and forth like they're candy on Halloween. And totally, no one really blinks an eye or thinks twice about it. But because you see that first round pick thing, it's like, wow, they gave up a first rounder. And I think it's a good get for 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 Calgary. Like, right, we talked about how this player's value had plummeted rel- relatively compared to maybe where it had been previously. And they got a few assets that they can talk themselves into being interesting moving forward as this hopefully kickstarts an extreme directional shift for them as an organization. And so I like it for them. I don't think they got fleeced by any means. Like, I think it was a very fair trade in that regard. But I also think that the price was 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 pretty reasonable. I don't think like you see it initially in the tweet that comes out. It's like, wow, the Canucks gave up all this stuff and they gave up a conditional fourth and and that and all that. And it's like, yeah, but in the grand scheme of things, I don't think those assets are nearly as meaningful to them as you'd probably think. No, for sure. A, a guy they they didn't want in in Kuzmenko, uh, a a you know a B plus maybe A minus prospect, a first round pick that's probably going to be in the mid to late 20s if if things go as we kind of expect them to and a, a fourth round pick that is conditioned on i believe the canucks making the western conference final which if they do that what do they care about a fourth round pick right so it's all very disposable stuff for for the canucks as you say um i i I think the the thing that depressed the value ver- relative to what um, Calgary might have wanted for the player is the fact that they just, um, as a matter of like uh, principle, just don't seem to wa- ever want to retain salary at all. Yeah, but do you think that would have really significantly changed the price either way? Because Lynn Holmes, I mean, it depends. Is already low enough. Yeah, I, it just depends how much they were willing to retain. You know, if it's like 10% or whatever, probably not. If it's 25 or, or 33 or 50, yeah, I, th- I think that does materially affect, uh, you know, what, what the asking price is. Um, but, you know, they're, they're just never going to do that. They have like a pathological commitment to not retaining. I think they've done it one time ever as an organization. So... The Flames just weren't going to do that. It was like a non-starter, basically, and so this is, I think, a, a reasonable price if you're not if you're not keeping some money. Yeah, I think it's kind of in line with recent trades we've seen as well. Whether it is the Horvat one we mentioned or or Ryan O'Reilly last year as well, right? It seems kind of in yeah, line with what you'd true. expect for the most part. I, I think they the Flames did fine here. I think if this you mentioned like unwillingness to retain. I mean, I think that's much more interesting when it comes to, I doubt they would for Markstrom because he has two more years after this one. And that's a lot of money to take on, especially with right. a significant percentage. But once you get into the Hannafin, or I think t- there was, we haven't even mentioned it. There was some thought at, for a period of time there last night, the Tanev would be part of this deal as well. And it seems like the Canucks might circle back at some point, And that would be interesting yep. as well for them. Um, but if they re- decide to retain on those two guys, I think particularly Hannafin, because there's teams who are very cap strapped and I know he has a pretty low cap at himself under five million. But if you can bring that down even further and all of a sudden talk a team that's very up against it 
like I don't know. I know they need a right shot a bit more, but like a team like the Lightning or, or or someone that all of a sudden otherwise would have no means of improving, but suddenly you can actually bring that down quite a bit and make it palatable for them. I think that would be interesting usage of their resources. Um, but you seem kind of less than convinced that they're actually going to be willing to go that far in terms of maximizing their return. They just never do it. it, yeah. it they, I, I believe the number is they have retained salary one time in the history of uh, the salary cap. So that's a, that's a long track record of just, again, like being ideologically like we don't do that. Um, but I guess, you know, the, the thing about the flames too, is that one of the other things they don't do is ideologically, they don't tear it down. Right. Like they, they've always just been kind of like, we're going to be, when we're bad, we're going to be like the, you know, 19th best team in the league instead of, uh, as bad as they maybe should be, um, to, to, you know, it, it feels like the end of the line for the, for this group, even though, uh, Craig Conroy is apparently still going like, Hey, no, if you want to resign here, yeah, I, I, I don't get the, the commitment to this group. I, I've said this a million times, but, um, you know, I guess, I guess we'll, I guess we'll see. Well, those two, those two concepts are kind of related though, right? The unwillingness sure. to like, yeah, absolutely. lose money and kind of just the desire to stay as mid as possible. I mean. This team is 22, 22 and five with a minus two goal differential. Like it's literally as, as mid as the kids say, as, as you can get. And pretty much that's, that's sad, but I, they have a chance to, to do something impactful moving forward. If they wind up actually monetizing Hannafin, Tanev, I mean, Markstrom, you could talk yourself into Manjupani and Coleman. I don't know. I just... I'm curious to see how they approach that. I think the fact that they, I know they took back Kuzumenko. I almost view that as like part of getting the first and the pick and everything. Like I, I don't, they might wind up trading him down the road if they can revitalize his production a little bit, either this year or into next year. Um, but I don't view him as like them seeing Kuzmenko as a legitimate asset. I just view that as, as a throw in to help the Canucks make the money work. In which case they prioritize futures, and I do think that is a bit encouraging, because there was some speculation at the start of the year that it's like, oh well, Columbus needs a center. What if, uh, you know, you go with Jack Roslovich and Andrew Peak and like all these random guys that are just yeah. NHL players? And it's like, ah, uh, if they went that route, that would be incredibly bleak. At least in this case, you can kind of talk yourself into this being step one of like a three or four step trade deadline that actually helps them moving forward. So I guess it's kind of a TBD for them in that regard. Yeah. I mean, this, this is one of those trades where, you know, if you could get the truth serum going and like force Craig Conroy, to be honest with you, I'd be really curious to see what he thinks Kuzmenko's future is in the organization. Cause yeah, he was like a rookie last year technically, but he's also like 27, 28 years old now. Um, and he's signed for one more year. And if the, well, I'll put it this way. If the flames are thinking, well, look, we'll just resign him. Uh, no, well, cost I, I don't think that's what they can. I, I would hope it's not, but like, again, the, the, the commitment to being mid at worst, 
you know, even even if they are doing the thing of of trying to um, maximize their draft picks and that kind of thing, it wouldn't it wouldn't shock me at all if they were like, oh, and of course, um, we we got to keep this guy around. You know, he, he had twenty seven goals that one time, or whatever, uh, forty seven. Right? He, so, he scored a ton last year. Yeah. He did. He scored a ton um, with insane percentages, right? I think everyone was. Yeah, I, l- I looked it up earlier in the show. It was like 27.5% or something like that. Yeah. Crazy. Um, yeah. Well, he. I think he's got a legitimate skill, and I don't think it's as bad as it's looked this year. Obviously, it wasn't as good as it looked last year. I do think For he's sure. like one of the players. He's one of the slowest players in the league, though. And so I that think is- this idea, like daily faceoff right now, has him listed on a top line. With Jonathan Huberto and Azim Kadri, and I'm like, oh man, that is that's going to be a tough watch. So, well, I, that, I, that that's a, a stylistic fit. Let's put it that way. Yeah, oh. just being extremely slow. It's going to really he, you don't have to worry about him being able to keep up with his line mates. You know? Yeah, Jonathan, I know you really enjoyed playing with Anthony Duclair. Here's the exact opposite in Andre Kuzmenko. <laughs> right? Um, yeah. yeah. Well, we'll see. It was funny last night. There was also a period of time, right, where it's always interesting how these how these trades sort of trickle out. It starts with the uh, talks are intensifying from Elliot Friedman, right? Then you just start seeing yep. David Weeks' face all over your timeline. And then, yes, there was a bit of a period of time where it's like, well, the Flames are on his no trade list. And it's it's funny just with a little bit of inside knowledge of that. And as he's being represented by Dan Milstein, who... Uh, represents a lot of the the Russian players and also like there's a joke here locally in Vancouver just like how entrenched he is with all the players he represents for them and everything and he helped facilitate the Zdorov trade to Vancouver it's like mm-hmm. there was zero percent chance that Dan Milstein even because Vancouver was like I don't really want to go like I like Vancouver he's and he notably likes the sushi here and, and it's a winning team I don't really want to go to Calgary there was zero percent chance that Dan Milstein was allowing that to happen so I love the uh the kind of inside baseball there. All right. Anything else on this trade? We've got like five minutes left here. So I guess we could do a quick mailbag one, unless you have any other sort of notes to, to put a bow on this, on this trade talk. I guess I don't. All right. Let's do the, let's do a fun one. So you, you got fired up with there with, with the PDO talk. Nothing fires me. I did. Like quite like talking about the Carolina hurricanes. So, okay. Here's one to hopefully elicit the same reaction out of me. Uh, it's from the Discord server. Go join the uh, go join the channel. It's in the the invite link is in the show notes. As we always say, free XJC says with Frederick Anderson potentially returning. What do the Hurricanes need to address ahead of the trade deadline to get over the hump and be considered a bona fide Cup contender? I'd like. I mean, you're the you're the Hurricanes guy. I'd love to hear your end. Can we just recycle? all of my takes from the past like four years for this question i yeah i mean that is it, it, it's the it's the same old story right i mean first in shots 10th in goals now their power play is up to third in goals per hour behind only tampa bay and edmonton and they've been really good and sebastian Ajo is playing at a really high level so the fact that you know they're 30th in team save percentage and yet they're still 12th and fewest goals against or something just it's it's it really is the same as it's been and i think they're gonna be hanging around i think they're gonna be really annoying to play against i think when they bump into a team that's either really strategic defensively or just has a goalie playing at a high level 
they're going to bump into the same issues. And so I think they actually are a cup contender as much as I hate to admit it, just because the East is pretty open. And I think they have quite a high baseline in that regard to beat a lot of these teams. But I would like at some point to see them really just take a big swing. I know they spent a lot of money on Dimitri Orlov and, and Michael Bunting this past summer, but I'd like to see them actually just bring in someone who meaningfully can create high danger shots for them and like and take a big home run cut doing so. And I don't know if that player is available right now at the deadline or if that's more of a summer move, but that's pretty much the answer that I've had for them for the past couple of years. And I haven't really seen anything this year that makes me sway from that. I'm hard to disagree with anything you said, obviously, but I'm trying to think when's the last time we were like, you know, who the, the hurricanes have is it, or what they have is a lethal finish. Well, they tried to with Patrick, right. even though he's more of a volume shooter. Right. And that, and then he tore his Achilles twice. Right. Yeah. But, Okay, so taking the eight games they got out of Max Pacioretty off the board, when's the last time? Like, are we are we going back to like early day? Like, you know, when they when like Eric Stahl had fifty goals that one time or whatever. Yeah, it's it's a it's a lot. Now look, there's a, there's a lot of teams that are like, boy, I wish we had like a guy who could consistently put put the puck in the net very easily. There are plenty of teams like that, but I don't know that there's one that historically hits. I guess you'd say Jeff Skinner, but again, like not, that's not really the kind of player we're talking about. Mm -hmm. Um, but yeah. And I mean, how long ago was Jeff Skinner there? Like seven, eight years ago. Been a long time now. Yeah. 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 And hurricanes. All right. Yeah. All right. Let's get, let's let's get, let's get out of here. I'll let you, uh, okay. Some stuff here. When, uh, have you started doing your trade log yet or is that going to happen soon i i literally send it to uh to jd today i'm going to start that today now now that like an actual big trade has happened i'm going to yep. start it today and i'll you know write two paragraphs or whatever maybe a little more than that mm -hmm. um but uh yeah well we'll I'll, I'll get that started in the next i don't know five or six hours nice maybe for probably by the time you hear this i i will have uh, pumped that out. So, well, hopefully, we keep you busy over the next month, and hopefully, there's some fun stuff for you to uh, to write up. I will be doing. You're going to be doing that. We're going to be collaborating on some stuff. I'm sure I will be doing uh, the full deep dives on on the bigger trades. Um, and yeah, the coverage at EP Ringside is going to be really good. So, if you haven't subscribed yet, I highly recommend you do so, and you can get access to both mine and RL's work. And Go follow Two Line Pass on, on Twitter. Check out all the content he bugs out. Uh, join the Discord server, which I mentioned earlier. We're going to be doing some fun stuff ahead of the trade deadline there as well. Go check out the YouTube channel. I just did a Matt Barzal episode with Daryl Belfry, and we'll be back with plenty more of the Hockey PDO cast, as always, streaming on the Sportsnet Radio Network.